in all of Warunga. Some of these properties, I don't know, the front section of the property must be 50, 100 metres like, long with you know, the beautiful uh, sort of fences with the posts and the doors and security. And you look through and you see like massive manicured lawns with multiple outbuildings surrounding the main sort of manor area and pools and tennis courts and, you know, expensive cars. And I like to run down the road and it kind of lets my imagination like kind of run wild. Uh, I imagine myself in one of these houses, you know, with my butler Jeeves, you know, (laughs) pass me the scotch Jeeves. What shall we do today? And servants and all this sort of thing, you know, playing a little game of tennis in the afternoon. Uh, It's a funny story, but it represents something, doesn't it? A craving, desires that we can have in this city. This is a city filled with people with deep desires. Have you ever found yourself overcome by some sort of deep desire for something more? If only I could own, not one of those houses, but a house in Sydney, even a unit in Sydney, I'd be happy. If only I could get married, I'd be happy. If only I could be single, I'd be, married, I'd be happy. <laughs> if only we could have kids, we'd be happy. If only my kids would get into uni, we'd be happy. If only we could travel around Australia or the world, then we'd be happy. If only we could retire up the coast, we'd be happy. If only I could get rid of my back pain, then I'd be happy. Now, over the years, I've met loads of people who have moved to Sydney from all around the world, and there's one thing that unites them all, and that is that they come to this country or to this city with big dreams and big hopes. Hopes for safety and security for their family. Hopes for a job or a career opportunity. Hopes for a change of lifestyle. Hopes for education for themselves or for their children. Hopes for the future of their children. Deep desires. But have you noticed that no one gets that one thing and then says, I'm done. That's it. I am done. I can die in peace. I will never want for anything else ever again in my life. Nobody ever says that. You know, recently, an example of this that sticks so clearly in my mind is the holiday that we went on, lovely two-week holiday uh, up the coast. And I don't know if you relate to this at all, but a two-week holiday is great, at least in the first week. In the first week, life is great. Work is a distant memory and thought. But have you noticed that that that, that second week turning point where you move into the latter half of the second week and you begin to start thinking about the holiday running out and you begin to start thinking about all the chores that await you when you get home and you begin to start thinking about Monday morning and the boss and suddenly that holiday, that two-week holiday is starting to lose its gleam. Where can we find true and lasting satisfaction? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I've entitled this message, Satisfaction Guaranteed. And I've got three uh, 
points as we move through the text. The last one is really more a brief point of application, but really one hope for us this morning as we look at John chapter 4, and that is that we will see that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your heart. So if you have your Bibles there, open them up to John chapter 4, and we're going to start reading the story. But just by way of context, Jesus had not long ago begun his ministry in this account of his life by one of his followers, John. Jesus' fame had spread among the religious leaders in Judea. He was developing many, many disciples. And he begins to, in light of that, return to his hometown, which is in the far north of Israel. And on his way through to Galilee, his hometown, he passes through Samaria, where our story begins in verse 3. Why don't you read with me John chapter 4, verse 3. He, that's Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. So Jesus comes on his trip from Judea, he's left Judea, and he's on his way, and he comes to this Sumerian town called Sychar. And he's weary and he's thirsty from walking all day. And it's the sixth hour, it says, which is probably the middle of the day, noon. And he sits by this ancient well that had been dug by Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, many, many years ago. We know it was a deep well, that well exists today. And it was tapping into a deep underground spring of water. And so Jesus takes this a seat by this well as our story continues in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink From me, a woman of Samaria. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. A local woman comes to draw water, and it immediately seems strange. She's alone. Most people at this time, or most women, would travel with others. It's safer. More, it's in the middle of the day. The practice was, in this hot and dry, arid Middle Eastern province, that people would go early in the morning or late in the evening to avoid the heat. And Jesus' disciples are away trying to organize lunch. And they would normally have drawn it for him, but he asked this woman, and she can't believe it. And John explains to us why. He says, literally, for Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. You see, to understand this story, you need to understand that there was a long-standing racial conflict between Judea and Samaria. Nearly a thousand years earlier, a king called Jeroboam I had taken half the nation and migrated north and formed a new kingdom, later called Samaria. He also started a separate religion. He built these golden bulls and new places of worship on Mount Gerizim. And in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire had invaded, taken all the noteworthy people from Samaria into exile and migrated Assyrians into this new kingdom. And these new exiles had their own additional pagan religious practices, which they'd intermingled with the existing religion. 
And the fruit was this mixed racial people with a mixed religion. And the result of this was a deep, deep hatred between these two people. So much so that 200 years earlier, the ruler of Judea had even destroyed their temple on Mount Gerizim. And so, John explains to us, Jews do not even use dishes Samaritans have used. A deeply divided people. And Jesus is sitting by a well, and he asks this peasant woman from a hated people to serve him water. And she can't believe it. But this isn't an accident. This is a divine appointment. You see, Jesus had a plan and a purpose for this woman. Read with me verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for living waters. You see, living water, it kind of has two meanings. Firstly, living water at the time was an expression that just referred to fresh, clean water. But in the Old Testament, living water was also a powerful metaphor for the life-giving activity of God himself. Uh, The prophet of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, accuses, or God through this prophet, accuses his people of abandoning him and trying to do life on their own without God. And God says the following through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God says, People have rejected me, the limitless supply of life-giving power, and they've made broken water tanks for themselves, water tanks that are useless. They can't even hold water at all. You see, living water is a powerful image of the life-giving work of God. And in the Middle East, where it's dry and barren, this is an especially powerful metaphor. And I'll put to us this morning, church, it's probably especially powerful to us sitting here in 2020 in Australia. You know, last year was the driest year since records began for us. And on holidays, you know, driving out in the countryside, you can see the deep, barren landscape, the the soil that's even, the grass has rotted away for such little water and it's turned to dust. You can see the trees that seem to cry out in thirst and stoop and the animals that are suffering and the way the bushfires have come and just ravaged our land completely in a way that's unprecedented. And so rain and water, when it comes, changes everything. Living water comes and rivers begin to run and birds begin to return and flowers begin to bloom and activity bursts forth. And it's a picture of what happens when God moves in a person's life. This dry and barren soul like the Australian bush springs forth to new life. And Jesus is offering this woman the life-giving work of God himself. But this woman doesn't get it yet at all. Read with me verse 11. The story goes on. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
This Samaritan woman misses completely what Jesus is talking about and is not convinced about what he's saying. She actually gives him a bit of a scathing reply. Firstly, she says, you don't even have a bucket or a rope to draw out water, so where are you going to get this living water? Secondly, she asks a question which in the original language has a clear answer. Are you greater than our father Jacob? The implied answer in the original language is, because you ain't. She's a bit sort of sassy, this lady. She's got a bit of attitude. But Jesus is completely unfazed. He says this in verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says this physical water will satisfy you for a little while, but you'll be thirsty again. I'm offering water that will turn into a fount within you, a spring, a limitless supply of life-giving water. You see, Jesus is teaching us that there is a kind of satisfaction that you can get from things in this life. From career, from relationships, from money, from property, from food, from holidays. All of these things can be satisfying. Jesus is not teaching they don't satisfy. He's teaching that the satisfaction isn't deep and it doesn't last. But drink this water and you'll be thirsty again. You see, careers, they become stale. Relationships, they sour. Money loses its appeal. Property wears out. Holidays end. But Jesus offers something far greater. Something that deeply satisfies. And here's where the Christians in the room, as Christians, we need to be careful. We need to give careful attention because these words that Jesus is about to speak to us are so familiar We lose their meaning. Read with me again verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm going to give you something that will end your thirst forever. My water, my water spring is a limitless supply of life-giving water. Just like water onto dry, arid land completely transforms it, that's what I'm going to do. And it's going to turn into eternal life, life that does not ever end and continues forever and ever and ever and ever. Think about that for a moment. Think about a thousand years from uh, ago, prior to this moment now. The year 1020. In the year 1020, it would be 46 years before the Normans would invade London. A thousand years, though, is a blip in eternity. Millions of years is a blip in eternity. Billions of years are a blip in eternity. And this Samaritan's war, uh, Samaritan woman's interest is piqued, but she still doesn't get it. And so she says in verse 15, 
the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. I'd love not to be thirsty and have to come here to drink. Give me some of this refreshing water. And so Jesus goes on in verse 16 and he replies to her. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You were right in saying, I have no husband. But you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Jesus asks a simple question, go and fetch your husband, and gets the shortest of replies. I have no husband. It seems Jesus has hit a nerve, and you can almost sense how uncomfortable this woman is. I don't even have one. Her defenses are coming up. But she doesn't need to worry. Jesus knows her intimately and has come to this place for her. His penetrating stare sees straight through this person, and she is a broken woman, married five times. Did these end in divorce or death? We're not told, but currently she is in another relationship and an immoral one. And suddenly it makes sense why she's at the well alone in the middle of the day and avoiding people. She was clearly a social outcast in a conservative society. Why does Jesus respond to her request for his living water by first turning to her private life? Seems odd, doesn't it? Why does her private life, or what does her private life have anything to do with this living water? Well, the answer is because she's a deeply thirsty woman. But her thirst isn't immediately obvious. It's a hidden thirst. She has a thirst that's deeper than her daily thirst for water that's led her to the well. She's looking for something in life. Some would call it happiness. Others would call it satisfaction or contentment. She's been looking for something missing from her life. But she's been looking in all the wrong places. She's been drinking from the fount of relationships and it's not working and she's thirsty again. She's hoping that a relationship would satisfy her thirst and so she moves to the next and the next and the next and the next and now possibly not able to find a rabbi willing to marry her for the sixth time, she is simply sleeping with this man. And Jesus is exposing her true thirst, a thirst that no worldly found seems able to quench. How about for you? If you're honest with yourself, what are you thirsting for? What are you telling yourself that you need to be happy? A career? A relationship? An exam result? Property? Holiday? Your spouse to change? Children to respect you. Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. You might be sitting there and thinking, what? how can Jesus offer this living water that truly satisfies? Well, to understand this, we kind of need to know why we feel these deep cravings in the first place. 
And you see, the Bible teaches that all of our discontentment and brokenness in life comes from the brokenness in our relationship with God. See, God is the eternal loving maker of the universe. He created the world. He created humanity in his image as the pinnacle of all the things that he made. And he placed us in the world to fulfill his purposes and enjoy rich relationship with him, our maker. And so the life of all people is by design to be one of incredible dignity and worth and purpose and joy. And yet we rejected his plan and rule and he cursed the world as a living picture of our brokenness between us and God. And then as a result of our rejection of him, nothing seems to fill the desire that lives in our heart and we continue to long for something more in life. And, and nothing, not even money or healthy living or travel or relationships seems that it can ever fill the void in our hearts because the emptiness comes from God himself. We're not living for the purpose for which he made us to live. And only he can fill it. And that's point one. A hidden thirst. This woman had a thirst deeper than mere physical thirst. She was trying to fill it in vain with relationships. A thirst that originated in her broken relationship with God. And that brings us to point two. Not just a hidden thirst, but a searching father. Here's the great news. God hasn't left us alone to sort out our mess. He has come to us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. Read with me verse 19. The story goes on. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought worship. You see, the Samaritan woman goes, Whoa, okay, you seem to be like a prophet or something to know all these things about me. Then she raises for him the obvious obstacle. How are you going to be able to help me when we have this massive ethnic divide between us? Our ancestors said we need to worship God here. Your people say we need to go in Jerusalem, i.e. where I'm not welcome. And so we read on as Jesus replies. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, or better perhaps, Madam, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who would worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says to this woman, he says, a time is coming when the place of worship won't even matter anymore. See, a big part of the divide between the Samaritans and the Jews was that they believed the temples at their different locations were the only place you could truly worship God. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something that will make these temples irrelevant. You've been worshipping the God you don't really know, but a time is coming where these location squabbles won't even matter anymore. An hour is coming when people will worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, what on earth does that mean, Jesus? Well, Jesus has been talking about this right from the very beginning. Let's read again that verse 14. 
Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that I will will give to him will become a fount of water welling up to eternal life. But remember the passage that I read earlier from Jeremiah 2.13. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Well, in that passage, what's the fount of living waters? The fount of living waters is God himself. God is the fountain of living waters. You see, the living water Jesus is offering that will become a fount inside of the one who drinks it. The living water that Jesus offers is God himself inside the one who drinks it. The gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwelling inside the one who believes. And that is why Jesus says to this woman that she won't need to go to a certain place to meet God. A time is coming when God will make his home inside of man. It's an amazing promise. The deep desires we feel for something more in life is because we're separated from the purposes that God has for us. And after millennia upon millennia, God is promising something more than just being reconciled again. He's promising union with him, to be joined with him, to join himself to people in a way that he's never been joined before. I mean, just think with me about this for a moment. The universe is vast, isn't it? You know, the distance between the earth and the sun is about 150 million kilometers. Think about that. And if you took that distance and you condensed it down into the thickness of this piece of paper, less than a millimeter, to travel across the entire galaxy of just the Milky Way, you would require a mountain of papers 500 kilometers high. 500 kilometers of papers, each representing 150 million miles. And our galaxy is one of only 50 billion known galaxies in the universe. Isn't the universe vast? Think about what we're talking about. We are infinitely small flecks of dust standing on a fleck of dust, traveling through the vast expanse of the universe. And the God who made it all is offering to dwell in us. But here's the obvious question. How on earth Will all this be possible? God can't just dwell with man. We're broken and defiled. We don't love God or trust God like we should. We betray God. We're living for our own pleasure, not his. I mean, think about it. We'd never even encourage someone to move into the home of a person who's used and abused and mistreated them, ignored them and avoided them and slandered them. But more than this, this is the God of the universe who made everything. And we deserve only his wrath. How on earth would this be possible? 
Well, a clue is found in verse 21. Jesus said to, me, said to her, Madam, believe me, the hour is coming. In John's gospel, the hour means only one thing. In every instance in John's gospel, the hour refers to the hour of Jesus' crucifixion and death, resurrection and ascension. And this is how it will be possible. That the incarnate Son of God himself would come and clothe himself in flesh to suffer, be humiliated, and die in our place. More to be raised to newness of life that he could be our once for all mediator between God and men. That simply through repentance and trust in this amazingly gracious and kind God, we could be once for all reconciled, more united with the living God himself. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that blow your mind? Jesus said the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. See, to worship God in spirit and truth is to worship him by the Holy Spirit and in accordance with the truth, the Son of God himself. But it gets even better. It's not like Jesus makes a way for us and then we have to find our own way to God on our own. No, read with me the second half of verse 23 again. It says, but the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is actively looking for people to worship him. Isn't that amazing? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing right here with this poor Samaritan peasant woman who had messed up her life. He is actively looking for true worshippers on behalf of his father. John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ is God become man for us. It's the greatest rescue mission to reconnect us to God. And that's why he can offer this living water to us. And this woman is so affected. She's so affected by this. She leaves in such a hurry that John writes she forgets her water jar and starts telling the whole town about Jesus. Friends, do you realize that God is still actively at work today searching for people to worship him? There are no accidents with God. If you're here today, you're here Because God is actively searching for people to worship him. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or a neighbor invited you along, we are all here because God, the Father, is looking for true worshipers. He's seeking you. Well, point one, a hidden thirst. The woman at the well had a thirst deeper than mere physical. She was thirsting for reconciliation with God. And point two, a seeking father. The Lord Jesus is God the Son incarnate, sent to die and rise so that the Father could seek out true worshippers. Well, finally, point three, 
which I've entitled Drinking from the Fount. And just a word of application to close. It's great what Jesus is offering, but you might be sitting there thinking, but how do you actually drink from this living water? How do you actually do it? Well, in one sense, the answer is so simple. And Jesus gives it to us in verse 10. Jesus answered her, it says in verse 10, and said, If you knew the gift of God, that is the grace of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. There it is. How do you receive the living water? You ask him. And as Jesus says, that he would have given you living water. It's so simple. All we need to do is ask. But I want to pause and tease it out this morning for two different groups of people in a little more detail. First of all, for those that are sitting here and you're already following Jesus. You know, if you're following Jesus and you're sitting here this morning, it's a message that's familiar in many ways. It's a reminder we need to hear all the time because we're so prone to wandering away. And so to drink, to ask Jesus for a drink means for us, I believe, to pause and remember that he's given us an eternal fount within. To think about the amazing scandal that it is that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. The God of the whole universe would put an eternal fount in us. An eternal fount of life-giving, living water that is not only working a work within us, but is flowing out of us and affecting those around us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Doesn't that blow your mind that just like water through dry and arid land completely transforms it. That is the work that the Lord is doing both in you and in the lives of those around you. Amazing privilege. Not only pausing to remember he has given us an eternal spring within, but drinking regularly from it. It's the daily battle that we face. You know, God has given us so many ways in which we can do this. Last year, uh, last year, last week, Simon gave us an awesome message about the Bible and how it says in Psalm 19 that the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Isn't that a picture of those life-giving living waters? Prayer, where we get to commune with God through the Holy Spirit because of Christ. I mean, amazing that we can talk to the God of the universe. Worship, where we get to gather like this and just sing his praises and enjoy him. We get to drink from the fount by looking for satisfaction in Christ each and every day. But if we're honest, we often drink first many, many other things before we come to the fountain. You know, just recently, um, I, I believe the Lord really convicted me of the way that 
I've been turning to other things for comfort rather than that living fount. And for me, when I'm tired, what I want to do is I want to sit on the couch and I'll watch YouTube, Netflix, and read the Sydney Morning Herald. That's what I want every time. And they're all good things, but they're entertaining things, yes, but they don't satisfy like Christ can. They, they leave you actually slightly dissatisfied and wanting just more entertainment. And we're selling ourselves short when, when, when I do this because we have the God of the universe to commune with. And so the question, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to leave you with is, when you're tired and stressed or angry and, or lonely, what do you seek comfort in? Netflix? YouTube? Holidays? Money in the account? Food? Christ, the living waters. Let me encourage you, nothing satisfies like Christ can. But finally, in closing, not just for those of us that are following Christ, but I wonder if there's some people here this morning who are not following Jesus. You wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Christ. How do you drink from the fount if that's you? First of all, we want to thank you for coming and joining us We'd really love to help you to come to know Christ. But if that's you, I think there's a couple of brief things. The first is you need to acknowledge that deep thirst you actually have, a thirst that nothing in this earth seems to be able to satisfy, a sense that you were made for something more than what your experience of life has been. An acknowledgement that what you've been looking for hasn't been filling you. And then, in response, the way we receive this water from Jesus is we, we stop living for the water that doesn't satisfy. We stop living for family or career or money. And we simply ask Jesus for what he's been offering us all along. If you knew who it was that was speaking to you, Jesus says to the woman at the well, you would have asked and he would have given you living waters. And that's the same offer Jesus extends to you today as well. Simply repent of the way you've been living. Stop thirsting for waters that won't satisfy you and come to me. Put your trust in me and all I've done for you and find true satisfaction in me. Well, in closing, over the years, I've met loads of people who have moved to Sydney from all over the world. One thing that unites them is that they move here with big hopes. Hopes for safety and secure, uh, security. Hopes for job and career. Hopes for a new lifestyle. Hopes for education for themselves or for their children and for the future of their children. And all these things are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But they don't satisfy our desires are too deep to be satisfied by anything in this world because our desires come from the brokenness between us and God. But Jesus offers an eternal fount to anyone who comes to him and simply asks in faith. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your heart. Why don't you join with me in praying as we close?
Lord Jesus, we want to come as your people this morning and we just want to thank you. How generous are you? You are infinite in mercy and kindness and generosity that though we wanted nothing of you, though we were lost and in darkness, you would come and seek us out. Calling each and every one of us by name, such as your great love, more laying down your life so that we might be filled with an eternal fountain. Lord God, I just pray for all of us. Help us to come more often to your fountain and enjoy the fullness of satisfaction that is to be found in knowing and loving the one and only living God of all things. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.